0: Welcome to Cal St. G. Academy, the educational podcast of the Parish of Calvary St. George's. These podcasts are intended to inform and deepen your faith so that you can share your faith thoughtfully with the world around you. For more information about the parish, go to CalvaryStGeorge's.org. And now, break out your moleskin prayer journal, and let's get
1: started. The Year of the Bible is a series of Cal St. G. Academy. Each episode will cover a new book of the Bible in a concise, in-depth, and ultimately edifying way. These lectures are recorded live each week at Calvary Church in New York City.
0: And so we begin our look at the Book of Psalms, the Prayer Book of Israel. We just heard the words from you too, and how long to sing that song is their rendition of the 40th Psalm. We'll hear other editions or uh, versions of the Psalms as we go into our study uh, in the next few moments. Now, looking at the Prayer Book of Israel, we see that the Book of Psalms is a collection of 150 poems uh, known in the Hebrew as the Sefer Ketuvim, which means the Book of Praises. And the Book of Praises are part of the subsection of the Hebrew Scriptures known as the Writings or the Ketuvim. That section includes uh, Ruth, Job, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, the Song of Solomon, Lamentations, Daniel, Esther, Ezra, Nehemiah, and the Chronicles. These 150 poems are divided into five books. These five books are not thematically arranged, nor chronologically arranged, nor by author arranged, but are simply um, an arbitrary breaking up of the 150 to reflect, most likely, the five books of Moses or the, uh, the Torah. And so the first book is Psalms 1 to 41, then 42 to 72, the third, 73 to 89, 90 to 106, and the last fifth book of the um, Psalms is 107 to 150. As far as dating them, um, well, your guess is as good as mine. Most scholars date them as post-exilic, that is after 535 BC, or the uh, uh, coming back of the uh, Jewish people to the Holy Land from exile in Babylon. Traditionally, they are ascribed to King David, and David uh, may certainly be the author of some of them. However, the book of Psalms uh, also contains Psalms by other authors, uh, by um, Asaph, the sons of Korah. Uh, There's even one uh, purportedly by Moses, which is the uh, 90th Psalm. Now, as far as the authorship of the Psalms go and being attributed to David, we uh, learn this bit of information from Bono. In his introduction to a little book of selections from the book of Psalms, uh, U2's Bono said, and I quote, But to get back to David, it is not clear how many, if any, of these psalms David or his son Solomon really wrote. Some scholars suggest the royals never dampened their nibs and that there was a host of Holy Ghost writers. Who cares, he says. Bono continues, I didn't buy Lieber and Stoller. They were just his songwriters. I bought Elvis. And in one sense, we're not in it here because of David or Asaph or Moses or the sons of Korah, but because these poems are inspired by God and are indeed God's Word to us that then become our words in prayer back to God. Now a word about the poetic structure. There is much that could be said, many books have been written, but to put it succinctly, Hebrew poetry, including the Psalms, make much use of a device called parallelism or the repetition of ideas. For example, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The world and those who dwell therein. Psalm 24, 1. And from the 98th Psalm. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous songs and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody. As you see, the repetition of ideas per per couplet is the uh, the warp and woof of the structure of Hebrew poetic um, uh, writing? The Western tradition, with its rhyme and rhythm and meter, is is noticeably absent uh, from the Book of Psalms in any any sense that we would be familiar. Uh, Jesus, steeped in the prayer book of Israel, would have often recited the Psalms. Indeed, he did on on the cross. His teaching, however, reflects this same poetic parallelism. For example, in Matthew 7-7, Jesus says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Now, let's look at the categories of psalms. Uh, Scholars have generally uh, categorized these psalms Uh, at least broadly speaking, under these headings. Uh, There are many subcategories, there are many uh, ways of grouping them. However, these seem to be the the generally agreed upon categories. First of all, there are the hymns. And the hymns would be what we would think are the the main part of the Psalter itself. However, there is another category that actually takes the lion's share of uh, the psalms, and those are the psalms of lament. Two kinds of lament. The the lament of the community, the communal laments, and then there are the individual laments of the individual heart crying out uh, to God. These laments make up approximately 45% of the entire collection, and it is surprising that in Hebrew, the title of this book this collection, is the Book of Praises. And yet, uh, almost half of them are prayers of of supplication and lament, and and of the heart-wrenching and heartbreaking uh, cries of an individual and the community. There are also other subcategories within here. However, the next major category um, are Thanksgiving Psalms. These are often liturgical, Psalms uh, to be uh, sung and recited uh, during the temple ritual. And then finally, a the fourth category, uh, the royal psalms. Psalms celebrating, uplifting the, um, the king, a the king of, of Israel, and the kings of Judah, but uh, psalms that also point towards that messianic king, that son of David, who will be David's Lord. And we see those messianic psalms, uh, particularly in Psalm 2, in Psalm 45, Psalm 69, and 110, uh, where the Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand till I make thine enemies a footstool for thy feet. And Psalm 118, verse 22, where it says that the stone that the builders have rejected has become for us the cornerstone and these are often by uh, Christian thinkers called the Messianic Psalms, but they are a subset of the Royal Psalms. So now let's look at these uh, categories, hymns, laments, thanksgivings, and Royal Psalms in greater detail. The hymns. The hymns have a particular pattern that uh, scholars have um ferreted out. And this pattern is probably most um, clearly uh, delineated in the hundredth Psalm, which I'll read to you from the King James Version, uh, not only because it, it puts it nicely, but it uh it sounds nice too. This first of all a call to praise. There's kind of an A B pattern here. A a call to praise. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. And then part B, a reason for praise. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Then back to A, a call to praise. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving. And into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. Why? B. The reason given. For the Lord is good. His mercy everla- is everlasting, and his truth endureth to all generations. And so in, in Psalm 100, we have this A, B, A, B pattern of call to praise, reason, call, and reason. And, and you'll see this played out in any number of the uh, the hymns of praise in the psalms, Psalm 90, 95, uh, Psalm 98, etc. Now we go to the second category of psalms, and these are the laments. I mentioned, remember, that the laments uh, make up the majority of the collection, and there are the uh, community laments, or the laments of the people of Israel, And then there are individual laments, whether they be of of David or of some individual unnamed psalmist who is pouring out uh, her or his heart out to the Lord. The pattern identified in these um, types of psalms is best exemplified in the great Messianic psalm that we know as Psalm 22, the psalm that Jesus was reciting on the cross. And this psalm, uh, this psalm exemplifies a pattern that is uh, uh, identified by these uh, following movements. The first is an address or invocation to God. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Followed by a complaint to God. Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. This is followed by an affirmation of trust. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted. They trusted, and you delivered them. Then after that affirmation, and only afterwards, there is then a petition. Be not far from me, for trouble is near. And there is none to help. This is in verse 11. With that, an acknowledgement of response. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. You have rescued me. And then the psalm ends with a doxology. Blessings and praise to God. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. Verse 25. And and in these select verses then, we see the movements of invocation and complaint, of affirmation of trust, followed by petition, with an acknowledgement of God's response, ending with a doxology. Doxology blessings and praise to God. And thus these psalms of lament are never completely uh, psalms of despair and, and sadness. They also indicate that the psalmist uh, whose heart is breaking, whose circumstances are dire, uh, are in the case of David whose life is being hunted out, find their refuge in the Lord. Now while we're on that subject, I do not need to say something about the Psalms of imprecation that are found in the, um, in the Psalms of Lament. These so-called Psalms of imprecation, or of calling down upon uh, God's enemies uh, misfortune, uh, are very disturbing in many cases. They have uh, bothered Christians through the years. And the most notorious one is the last verse of the 137th Psalm, the one that says, uh, Blessed are they uh, who take your little ones and dash them against the rocks. Uh, this, this psalm and its ending ha- have caused much uh, consternation in the church. And there are people who, who won't even pray these psalms because they feel that they are inappropriate. But in the words of of C.S. Lewis, in his Reflection on the Psalms, he writes this, For we can still see in the worst of their maledictions how these old poets were, in a sense, near to God. Though hideously distorted by the human instrument, something of the divine voice can be heard in these passages, not, of course, that God looks upon their enemies As they do. He, quote, desireth not the death of a sinner, unquote. But doubtless, God has for the sin of those enemies just the implacable hostility which the poets express. Implacable? Yes, not to the sinner, but to the sin. Or put in another way, These psalms of imprecation, of, you know, Lord, bash their teeth out and make their cattle stillborn, indicate to me a reality of the human experience when subjected to gross injustice, to terrorism, to violence, uh, to, uh, you think of the uh, bombings in churches and then people uh, whose families are ripped apart by uh, terrorism and, and war. And these outcries of the human heart certainly include uh, cries of of vengeance and and, and of anger. And so in that sense, these psalms of imprecation uh, reflect the reality of the human experience. But never, never without a trust in the God who alone says, Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. And that's, that's all I'm going to say about the psalms of imprecation. I think that uh, that should be sufficient and I hope it gives us a sense in which we can still read those psalms with an understanding that even if they are not reflective of our particular experience at that time, they are the reflections of humanity's experience. The third category brings us to thanksgivings. Now, thanksgiving psalms are frequently part of a of the, you might say, the liturgical life of Israel. They are often set in in antiphonal form to be recited by by the Levites or priests and the congregation. And they come also with a a certain pattern that have been identified by the scholars. Uh, That pattern begins thusly A. The summary of the testimony of the Psalmist using Psalm 118 for our example. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. And then there's followed by section B, a narration of the psalmist's experience. Out of my distress I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. As verse 5. Then there is an acknowledgement of God's aid in the form of praise and thanksgiving. The Lord is good. The Lord is God. He has made us his light to shine upon us. You are my God and I will give thanks to you. You are my God. I will extol you. You catch the parallelism in there also. And in these Psalms, this this pattern uh, gives us a sense of the the journey of the the people of Israel. Their, their testimony, Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. There's that antiphonal liturgical form. And then the narration of the experience, whether it be that of a personal distress, of uh, David's wanderings and uh, away from the pursuit of King Saul, whether it's the cry of the psalmist who is enduring persecution from enemies or or from sickness or from despair and depression, there is a narration of that experience. And then always concluding with an acknowledgement of God's aid in the form of praise and thanksgiving in the midst of of these uh, circumstances. And so these psalms of thanksgiving are different from the psalms of lament are deliberately set to put the tone towards gratitude to God for what He has done. Now we come to our final category, the Royal Psalms. We've looked at the hymns, the Lamentations, the Thanksgivings, and now the, these special psalms called Royal Psalms, which, remember I mentioned, includes the, category, the subcategory of Messianic Psalms. In these psalms, there, there isn't quite a, there isn't any pattern as they were in the previous set uh, sets. Here what we have are uh, some themes that are identified. and I, I've identified four major themes in these psalms, and, and they go like this. The first theme speaks of the king's strength. In Psalm 45, verse three, we read, "Gird your sword on your thigh." Almighty One, in your splendor and majesty. There's a reference to the King of Israel and and to his, his strength and this leadership of the of the hosts of, um, of Israel, of the armies of Israel. And then there's a reference to, secondly, the king's enemies. From Psalm two, uh, probably the most um, clear example of this. Why do the nations rage? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and his anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder." You can hear the, that deep bass voice of the bass soloist in, in Handel's Messiah. Then the third theme is referring to the king's justice. Psalm 72, 2. May he, the king, judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. Notice the parallelism between righteousness and justice. It so happens that the word in Hebrew uh, for those two words in English is the same word, tzedek or tzadik. Uh, in Greek it's the same word, dikaiosune. Uh, justice and righteousness go together. And it is the king who is to be the dispenser of this justice and righteousness. And then a fourth theme, and this is the theme that leads us beyond the historical earthly kings of Israel, where it is said in Psalm 45, verse 6, Your throne, O God, is forever. The scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of righteousness. And the movement here is from the Davidic kinghood or kingship to the kingship of the Messiah. This is looking forward to that son of David who is king of kings and lord of lords who imputes his righteousness to the believers and whose justice will one day fill the entire earth when God's will is done on earth as it is done already in heaven. And thus, these royal psalms definitely have a messianic outlook for what is ascribed to the earthly king of Israel are attributes and um, characteristics that can ultimately only be fulfilled by Jesus Christ, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. And so in the Royal Psalms, we have this completion of what the uh, the assaulter is pointing to when it looks forward to the Messiah and the fulfillment uh, of God's plan in Christ. In one sense then, the book of Psalms can be uh, said to be imbued with the spirit of Christ in it and that Christ in the Psalms is not merely a reading back into uh, from Christian teaching back into the Old Testament, but is a rather looking forward in the hopes and dreams and aspirations of Israel, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, towards God's the fulfillment of his plan, not only for Israel, but for humanity, and not only for humanity, but the entire cosmos. Now let's hear a couple of uh, psalm examples that I'd like to uh, play for you. Here's an example of Gregorian chant as sung by the Benedictine monks of Silos in Spain. Example of the praise music of about 800 years ago or more as sung by these monks. Now, taking a leap forward to a a contemporary uh, edition of the Psalms, we will hear a selection from Psalm 34, Taste and See, by the contemporary Christian group Shane and Shane.
1: Answer me And deliver me From every fear and those who look on you Are radiant I'll never be ashamed I'll never be ashamed this poor man.
0: Shane and Shane a very uh, inspiring version of it however let me turn to my final selection which I must admit here in my own personal opinion reflects probably the way the praises of God will be sung around the throne of God and there really is no other rendition of the Psalms that I love better than the form known as Anglican chant. And so, we will listen in a moment uh, to the uh, choir of St. Thomas Church, uh, Fifth Avenue, here in New York, uh, singing the 150th Psalm a cappella, as written by a a fellow named T. Tertius Noble, who is the uh, music director and founder of the uh, St. Thomas Choir School of Men and Boys. Listen now to Psalm 150. Oh, praise God in his holiness. And let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Cal St. G Academy. All of these podcasts are recorded at live events and lectures hosted by the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. Want to hear more? Stop by the church sometime and attend one of these events live. Or swing by one of our many services, where we seek to rightly divide the word of truth week by week, with sermons that always point to where we end and God begins. Find out more about all of our events and offerings by visiting calvarystgeorges.org. And if these free podcasts have meant something to you, and you feel led to support our ministry, head on over to calvarystgeorges.org giving and make a donation today. Thanks again, and we hope to see you soon.